Uh, So if you would now stand with me in reverence for God's Word, we're going to read John 4, verses 27 through 42. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left Uh, Sorry, so the woman left her water jar and went into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who has told me everything that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his works. Do you not say that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, the one sows and the other reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor." Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. Let me pray for us. Father God, we, we are so grateful for you. Lord, in this season of Thanksgiving that we celebrate culturally, you are our ultimate gift. You are what we have most to be grateful for in everything that you have done through your Son and illuminated by your Spirit. Lord, help us today to understand this truth, this word that you have laid out for us to understand. Lord, there's some rich information here that will articulate how we are to live as faithful followers as we have been born again through your spirit, Lord. We are grateful for what you have done. Give us a greater faith. Push away doubt, Lord, in our minds and help us to hear this truth with ears that are ready to receive your grace and mercy. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. When we see who Jesus Christ actually is, everything about our world change, our, our worldview will change. When we see Jesus Christ for who he actually is, everything about our worldview will change. But there's a difference between knowing God and knowing about God. There's a difference between knowing God or knowing about God. When you know God, you will be transformed to live with a different type of boldness, a unique residence of contentment and a strong desire for obedience. Today in our text, that's exactly what we see with both the Samaritan woman as well as the people whom she brings to Jesus, who who, who wants to meet Jesus. And what we're about to see is a woman and a people who have been changed and transformed and I would say even redeemed, regenerate. And this happens Because as we saw last week, the woman at the well meets the Messiah. All of this, all of the events that transpire in this text, this portion of the text that we just read, all of these events transpire because this woman meets 
the Messiah. She meets Jesus Christ. And in our passage today, what we read or what we read, because of this meeting, because of Jesus, she races back into town to bring more people to him. There's an action step. There's a response. And she was in such a hurry, John says, that she left her bucket behind, the very tool that she used to sustain her life. She just leaves it behind. And apparently, she left it behind because it no longer mattered to her. Because she now possessed the fulfilling, the, 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 the ability to be fulfilled by this living water that her soul now possesses. This earthly reality didn't even resonate with her any longer as maybe what the application could be. And just as Jesus promised, and what we see is that her faith simply is overflowing out of her. She simply just has to share this truth with her people. She just simply has to tell people about who and what she has experienced. Now, please excuse this cheesy statement, but ultimately, she no longer desires to depend on the water from down below as she is obviously been born from above. And like we said last week, her conversion is not the central focus. Even though this is miraculous, even though this is wonderful and something that we can celebrate when someone comes to faith, her conversion is not the central focus of this passage. The focal point and what's happening here as it's happening throughout all of the Bible is that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah who has come in the flesh for the whole world. That is the focus. That is what enacts and creates the moment. That is what actually is, is bringing the salvation for the people. And the fact of the matter is that God has and always will be in charge of everything at every moment. This is true for every moment in history as well as our present and into the future. God is the one. The focal point is the Messiah. And that scene, just in this text, that scene by Jesus' timing in this message, in this passage, verse 27, just then, John says, just then, his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? Just as Jesus declares to the woman at the well, just in that moment, that very moment where Jesus is proclaiming that he is the Messiah to this woman, his disciples show up as they were sent into town to get food. John tells us that they then marveled at this. They marveled at it. Jesus was talking to this non-Jewish woman, but not just that, he told her that he was the Messiah. Now, this term marveled in the original text can mean amazed. It can also mean to hold contempt. These disciples were maybe more than a bit shocked. They were more than a bit surprised at what they just witnessed. This wasn't just public moral conduct that Jesus was casting away, right? He wasn't supposed to talk to a woman in public. But he was doing more than that. Jesus was, in fact, discussing theology with a female, which was not done at that time. But even though they stood there in shock at this moment, even though they were marveled, maybe they held some sort of contempt, no one questions her. No one steps into the conversation with Jesus and says, what is it that you're seeking? They don't question Jesus either. They don't say, hey, why are you talking to that woman? And why would they do that? Why would they not do that? Because possibly, although their hearts have been sort of lagging behind in their acceptance, they knew that Jesus was Lord. 
And they thought maybe he has a, a greater purpose for what he is doing. Even though their hearts were lagging behind in understanding, lagging behind in acceptance for what Christ was doing, but they understood that he was Lord. And it's possible, it's, it's very possible they understood that he had a greater purpose for what he was doing. And this is really common for us as well. This reality or what these disciples were experiencing is incredibly common for us as well. Our hearts often are, is what first accepts this biblical truth. We receive truth in our mind first, but it sometimes takes time for us to absorb it into our hearts, right? How often do we read scripture and we, we come across something and, it, and it's shocking and it's, it's scathing and it's difficult to process. Our mind is receiving this truth that is written down and proclaimed as God's word and it takes time for our heart to absorb it and recognize it in our own lives. So going on, the woman leaves in haste as the disciples arrived, and while she's gone, the disciples try to feed Jesus, because remember back in verse 8, Jesus is the one who, who sent them off to get them food, so they're trying to feed Jesus, and what's interesting is that the, the disciples are said to be pressuring Jesus to eat. They're literally trying to force food down Jesus' throat. That's why they say in, at the beginning, Rabbi, eat. Hello, we've just gotten you food. Put this in your, in your mouth. You've had a long journey. You need this sustenance. Take this. Eat. Come on. Verse 32, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to another, has anyone else brought him something to eat? Did somebody else give him food? Like the Samaritan woman earlier in last week's sermon, they were simply focused on earthly things. They were focused on what the, the materials of this world could bring as far as sustenance. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his works. Jesus says, everything that I'm here for is for God the Father, is for this life, is to, is to, to be led in the will of God. This is reminiscent of what Moses wrote down in Deuteronomy 8.3. Moses is, is, is writing down the accounts of his people, uh, the people of Israel, God's people, and Moses was showing Israel that God cared for them as they journeyed through the wilderness. God let them hunger in order to provide for them manna that rained down for heaven, and he did that to prove to them that he will always provide for them. As he walked them through the desert, he allowed them to hunger. He allowed them to struggle so he could provide the manna, literally miraculously raining down from heaven as a way to prove to them, I will always be there for you. I will always give you enough to be sustained by. God did that again to prove to them his mercy, to prove to them his grace. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This, in fact, is one of the quotes that Jesus uses against the devil when he too was in the wilderness journeying on him by himself before he actually started his public ministry. You see, Jesus wasn't focused on fulfilling personal hunger or personal desire. Rather, he was motivated to do the Father's will what his whole life was about. He was motivated to follow after the, uh, his father's will. Again, if Jesus is who he says he is, which he is, it should change everything for us, including what we desire. If Jesus is who he says he is, if he truly is the Messiah, if he is God incarnate, if he is Emmanuel, he is God with us, if he is 
the Son of God, then that should change everything for us, including our desires. Now, something that we haven't quite touched on yet is that the Samaritan woman's witness was apparently more effective than the disciples. Right As we follow through this, remember this is a narrative as we're walking through these, these moments. We've kind of so far set scene after scene after scene, sort of like a movie. So apparently as this continues to unfold, the Samaritan woman's witness is more effective than Jesus' own disciples. John tells us that just as the disciples had returned from town, the woman leaves and eventually returns with people who want to meet the Messiah. Now she didn't go there proclaiming that she had suddenly become a perfect person. She didn't go there instructing people, hey, I've discovered the right way to live. This is how you do this morally. Neither did she try to forcibly request, say, hey, I know the right way. Come follow me. This is what you're supposed to do. Instead, she simply told them about Jesus, who is the Christ. She just told them who the Messiah actually was. He's revealed in the Old Testament. We talked about that last week. But she literally just told him, told them who the Messiah was and how he has come. She says in verse 29, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. This is the reality that God knows the depths of our heart. We don't have to and, and never will have to hide from God what he already knows. He already knows the, the utter depths of of our heart and our soul. You don't have to hide from him. And then she poses an interesting question, maybe because she's aware of how the people viewed her in her town, and she says, can this be the Christ? Come and see a man who, who told me everything about myself. Could this be the Christ? So they went out of the town, and they were coming to him, that is Jesus Meanwhile, while that was going on, Jesus' disciples are focused on the food, and then Jesus says to them this, verse 35, do you not say there are yet four months, then come the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Jesus very well may have been pointing to the people coming out of the city as they continued to flow out. Jesus was saying, don't you see? The harvest is ready. Look at them coming. They are literally uh, falling out of the town and, and coming near us. And Jesus uses a, a, a particular phrase here. What he says, he says, the fields are white for harvest. You see, as these Samaritan people heard this truth about Jesus and they wanted to go out to meet him, they probably left the town still dressed in their common apparel. And as such, their white clothing stood in stark contrast across the landscape of the green field of this slowly developing grain. Because the harvest takes time, right? We, we think agriculturally, we plant a seed and we patiently wait for it to grow, and then we can take in the harvest. Jesus is saying, you don't have to wait any longer. You tell me it takes four months, oh yeah, look what's coming. Look at these, these, these people, the, the harvest is white and ready to go. See, the agricultural ideas, the grain was ready, the, the grain stalks would have these white heads on top, and that's how people knew it's time to harvest. The white was cast across this green field saying, there's the harvest. Go and collect it. And what they resembled, again, was this grain that was ready. Jesus goes on in verse 36, already no one, or sorry, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. 
God's people have been waiting a long time for the Messiah to come. They've been waiting a long time, thousands of years. All of the Old Testament makes the proclamation that the Messiah will one day come. All of it, as we see the prophecies, we see it sort of laced through all the text. So the people of God have been waiting, Israel has been waiting for a long time for Christ to come, but the wait is over. The wait is over. The Messiah has come. No longer do we have to hope for the seed to produce its harvest. We don't have to wait any longer, Jesus is saying. The seed of God's word, like James says in chapter 1, verse, tw- uh, tw- uh, chapter 1, verse 21 of his letter, God's word is able to save our souls. How is that possible? Because it proclaims who Christ is. How is this book full of pages and ink? It's not magic. It's not special, this book. But what it proclaims is where the power is at. What it proclaims is it tells us about God incarnate. It tells us about the Messiah. That is why it's able to save our souls. Amen. The Word of God is the seed of truth which is capable of producing this immense harvest in the lives of our families and our co-workers and our neighbors and wherever else God has sent you. He sends us in all sorts of different places. Christ provides us with faith based on truth, and that truth should move us to be doers and not just hearers of it. Our faith is based in truth. We have God's very perfectly revealed word to read and digest. And it should cause us to not just be hearers, but doers. This is not some sort of new truth. It's not new truth. Back in that day, if anything came new, they would cast it away because it wasn't news. It wasn't ancient news. It wasn't, you know, a long-weighted processed truth. Today, anything is new is we gobble it up and we cast off all the ancient ideas. Oh, that's just an old way of thinking. This is how we should think for today. But this truth is not new truth. It is eternal truth. This truth has been set before the foundations of the entire world. That's who Christ is. That's how he is God's incarnate word. You with me? If God created all things, he has authority over all things and therefore determines all things. If he is who he says he is, that changes everything we understand. Again, this is not some sort of new kind of truth. We all would do good to study the parable of the sower. right? We're talking agricultural. The parable of the sower is an incredible Uh, passage where Jesus articulates this wonderful truth about how God's word is cast out into the world and it lands on different soil, proclaiming that it lands in our hearts of different people differently. Maybe you community group leaders can, can use that and help your community group study that this week. But this parable reveals how the truth, again, is sent out, how it's sort of cast out and sent out and how it's received and not received by the hearts of different people. Because some get caught up in Jesus' miracles. Like this scripture, like this in, in this Bible, what we read, some of us even today still get caught up in Christ's miracles and never actually advance to simple belief that he is who he says he is, that he is God in the flesh. He is truly the Messiah. The question that is always asked is, what can Christ do for me now? What can you give me today? 
And yeah, I know that many of us receive saving faith. I know that in this room particularly, we have a lot of Christians who have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, and we have received eternal life and all the blessings of inheritance that go along with it. And that is glorious and beautiful, but it's, this is just the beginning step. Being given this salvation is just the beginning step. Your faith is meant to lead you into action. It's meant to lead you into action, which is exactly what we see with the Samaritan woman. She meets Christ, and then she's motivated to go and share this truth in order for other people to meet him because of who he is, which is how we can rightly evaluate that her faith is real. Right? We study this back in James. This is the reality that we are justified by God. It is his work. He brings us from death to life, but we are also justified before men as they see our outworking of our faith. Our works prove that we've been given salvation. Are you with me in that? That's how that comes together. Again, the word of God is the seed of truth which is capable of producing this immense harvest in ourselves as well as the people that are around us. Question then, which is always the question, how do we do this? If this is true... If the word can produce this harvest, what are we to do? How do we evangelize with God's word? How do we guide our children with God's word? How do we disciple one another with God's word? How do we use this truth to choke out the weeds of the world that are attempting to outgrow the truth that's already in my life? We must use the word of God. We must use God's truth. None of it is about us. None of it is about who we are. It is all about who he is. That is the message of the scriptures. That is the message of the Bible. Now, as I was processing this sermon, I was, I was thinking, do you think it's possible that Jesus' disciples, as they approached this small town, Sychar in Samaria, as they approached it, they kind of looked at each other and they said, you know what, fellas, like, we're here to do a job. We got something we got to do. Let's just go in there and get out. We're, we're, we're you know, Jewish. They're Samaritan. They kind of despise us already. They're not going to want to hear about Jesus. Like, let's just do our job. They really don't want to hear from us anyways. When, in fact, just the opposite was true, right? That's what we've learned. Just the opposite is true. The harvest was ready, and all it needed was a faithful worker to claim it. That's all it needed. They missed the boat. That's why the Samaritan's uh, evangelism was more successful than theirs because all she did was go in there and proclaim Christ. She claimed the harvest. So I ask, have you ever said or thought something along these lines? Have you ever thought to yourself, ah, that person doesn't want to hear this. Nah. They have a totally different like idea. They don't want to hear from me. We have to be careful and we have to heed the warning of Ezekiel, or I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes 8 11. It says this He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. We cannot be so vain. We cannot be so arrogant to think that we know when we should plant or we know where we should sow. We can't be so arrogant to say that person's ready for the truth. We can't simply attempt to build up this immense cache of relationship equity in order to share the truth. That is 
wonderful to do. You should care and love one another, but the truth is the truth. And when the Messiah stands on his own foundation, not in how much or how great we are. The truth is the truth. Success, or rather, we are called to, to, to faithful work, not successful work as the world defines success. We are called to faithful work, not successful work as the world defines success. Success in terms of salvation is not in our job description. We cannot change hearts. We cannot bring people from death to life. That is not something we are capable of doing. That is the Holy Spirit's responsibility and job as well. In this, we are called, we are commissioned into being a part of that. So we need to be careful not to get disappointed in our effort because the reality is this, the one who sows may not see the culmination of the harvest. As I'm standing here calling you to evangelize, calling you to go in there and proclaim the truth, to talk about the Messiah, the reality is this, that even though we sow, we may not see the culmination of the harvest. But is Christ enough? Those who reap will get to see it. That's the truth. Those who reap, we who sow, as we plant those seeds in people's life, we may not see it, but those who reap will get to see it, and they are then able to give thanks to the laborer, the faithful laborer who came before them, right? Together, Jesus is telling us, together we can celebrate. Jesus says that the sower and the reaper are able to rejoice together. We don't do this work alone. This is how the church operates. This is the uniting of the entire body of Christ coming together to bring forth his mission. As well, it's important for us. As we study this, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, this is challenging. I get it. I'm supposed to be evangelist. I understand, but how in the world am I supposed to do this? I don't know if I'm a reaper or a sower. I don't know what's going on. We have to remember as we continually to study this gospel of John, this letter is meant for the purpose of evangelism. That's why we study God's Word. God's Word reveals to us what we are practically meant to do. John wrote this letter. He wrote this gospel so that many might believe in Jesus. And that's what's happening to the people in Sychar. They are hearing God's Word taught by Christ, and they are responding. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay, to stay with him, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. Many more believed because of Christ's word. This is the beautiful thing. In fact, I think these four verses are maybe the most incredible part of this passage because John informs us as an eyewitness. Remember, John is a disciple. He was there. He was following Christ at that time. As an eyewitness, John tells us that many of the Samaritan people's people suddenly believed in Jesus as the Christ. They believed that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, and that all this happened through a woman who the majority of the people despised and were all but cast out of their community. This all happened. Their salvation came to them through a woman and because of what Christ has done in her. What Christ has done in you matters as a testimony to his power and mercy for someone else. But even more than that, these people wanted to have their own thirst quenched. Remember last 
week, we talked about how the woman came to the well. She wanted her thirst quenched, and Christ provided all of this. Now her testimony is, I am fulfilled. I can leave my water bucket. I have this living water. They, too, wanted their thirst to be quenched. Their souls needed more of Christ. So after that, Jesus stayed for a couple days with them, no doubt teaching and, and applying God's truth to their lives. Many more of them believed because of his word, and yet something else also changed. Something else happened to them. Something that happens to all of us who truly have saving faith. What we experience is that now our knowledge, belief, and trust in Christ becomes our own. It's no longer about the person who shared it with us. It is our own. We possess it. It is given to us. The Spirit now dwells in us like it did in that person. This is the power of God and what he does and what we hear from them, what we hear from the people who have now been changed by Christ's word, what we hear from them is what we should all yearn to have echo in, our, in the hearts of our family, friends, and neighbors, and co-workers is this, verse 22, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. Remember, it's not about us, it's about him. It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. What a transformation. What a change. If you're sitting here today saying, I love coming to church, I love being a Christian, is it real for you as it is for them? Do you know that this is indeed the Savior of the world? These confessions of these Samaritan people are incredible, and it's especially significant because they're not Jewish. It's significant because they're, in fact, not Jewish. Historically, the Jewish people thought that they alone were the ones who were God's chosen people, when, in fact, God's plan has always been for his people to be a people of many nations. That's why this moment is so incredible, because it proves to the disciples and to us that Jesus didn't just come to save Israel. He came to save all people of all nations. It doesn't matter what you think of that person. It doesn't matter if you think that, that they'll feel that they're not, you, you feel that they aren't ready to receive this truth. Jesus is ready to provide himself to them. That is what he's ready to do. Jesus didn't just come for Israel, but he came for all of those who would place their faith, hope, and trust in him. So I ask, who have you kept your faith from? Who have you kept this truth from? Who are you thinking about that you should go and share this truth with? We are not here to build an organization as a church. Maranatha is not the focal point of this building. It is Christ and him crucified. Who are you keeping this truth from? Who can you share this truth with? Now, maybe you've noticed, maybe you haven't, but throughout our time in studying John's gospel, what we see is that Jesus has gone and will continue to go where he calls us to go. We see that just in the way that Jesus has laid out uh, the Gospel of John. So far, Jesus has begun his earthly ministry in Jerusalem. He moved out into the countryside of Judea, and now we see him evangelizing in Samaria, and he gives faith to a non-Jewish town representing the entire outside world. Does that sound familiar? That's just Acts 1.8. After Jesus' resurrection and before his ascension back into heaven, Jesus leaves us 
with a commissioning that's linked to our faith. Acts 1 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's salvation. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. If you have true saving faith, if you in fact have been born from above, if you have been born again, your soul will be actively pouring forth love and good works. This will be the model of your life. You will be pouring out love and good works because each and every one of us is called to be Jesus Christ, active witness to wherever he sends us. We're all called to this. This isn't just the pastor's responsibility. This is all of us, the collective, the universal church. We are to go forth proclaiming the good news to all people. And now we understand that sowing and cultivating and harvesting are not easy tasks. It's not easy physically. It's not easy spiritually. But ease is not what is promised. Satisfaction is. Ease is not what is promised. Satisfaction is. Ultimately, like Jesus Christ, who is operating in the will of God, it is supposed to be our, it's supposed to be our life and our strength. Following in the will of God the Father is supposed to be the source of our life and strength like Christ. Which leads me to ask this question. If that's true, if, it's, if, if following after and operating within God's will is supposed to be our life and strength like it is for Christ, I have to ask this question. If what you're doing is only bringing you heartache, if what you're doing is constantly just tearing you down instead of building you up, instead of bringing you life, doesn't it make sense to ask the question in a group of, of fellow believers, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I actually operating in the will of God? If it's meant to bring you life, and it's meant to strengthen you, and all it's doing is cutting you down, shouldn't you ask your fellow believers who care and love you more than anyone else, Am I actively in the will of God? You don't have to hide. This place is a place where we can be broken. We can be honest. We can be truthful. Because we're all processing the same thing. Am I actually doing what God wants me to do? Now listen, I am aware that there are so many different circumstances just in this room going on, and each one of them needs a thoughtful and wise answer, but I'll say this to all of those situations. Jesus never looked on the Father's will with disgust. Nor did he consider it distasteful to follow through with what the Father had called him to do. Remember, ease is not the promise. The Samaritan woman didn't get to go back to town and erase all the bad things that she did. Simply put, Jesus, though, was enough for her. Jesus was enough to satisfy her soul. So what does it mean for you if Jesus is the Messiah? How does it change your life if Jesus Christ is who he says he is? Is he enough? If you pray with me, please. Father, we love you and thank you. Thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you for your son, ultimately, who is enough. 
Lord, he satisfies our soul. He, he gives us hope and understanding, true peace, recognizing that we have been forgiven and sanctified and, and, and brought low in order to be, to be brought high with you. Lord, help us to find a, a richer faith and cast out doubt, Lord, so we can walk in this truth, so we can present this reality to our, our, our family and our friends. Lord, even going into this week of Thanksgiving, we're going to be around maybe family and friends we haven't seen in a long time, and that can be stressful and, and, and tempered in a unique way. So Lord, let us be people who have confidence and are satisfied in Christ to show love and compassion, to proclaim the truth. Lord, let us be bold as well. For this truth stands on your foundation, not in our ability. We are so grateful, Lord, that you trust us enough to give us your truth. Lord, bring forth opportunities, Lord. Give us a boldness to see the harvest and to collect it, to go forth proclaiming your truth. We love you, and we thank you for all that you've done in our lives. Thank you all that you've done at Maranatha, Lord. Let your people and your number grow. In Christ's name, amen.